heavy blow to the skull. This is not a test. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Zestalprods.com Movies and a Television Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dead. And joining me today, we have Cave. Hi. Our only consistent podcast. <laughs> mm, one day it shall be replaced by Die. <laughs> <laughs> We're five episodes. As long as I'm in charge of it. <laughs> We're five episodes in, and I already post an episode late. Mm. Thus begins the slippery slope into just, yeah, I'll get around to it. Thank you guys for putting up with it. That's all I can say. Yeah. Our numbers have been, like, consistent kind of throughout, so it's all right. It's doing good. All right, so. I want to talk about my stuff first, just because I... I have three TV shows that I'll just kind of be able to blaze through, but the movie I want to talk about, I kind of want to get out of the way because I've been thinking about it a lot. All right. Maybe I've seen it. Probably not. Murder on the Orient Express. Ooh, which one? The 2017 one with Kenneth Branagh. I need to look that one up, then, because I'm not 100% sure if it's the one I've seen. It's the most recent one. Yes, but I'm still not sure. <laughs> I, I just need to see one image, and then I'll know. Um, well, okay, I'm pretty sure, yes. well, I'm pretty sure I, the only other the, adaptation the of that is from the 70s. This is, that is the one that I, that is the, uh, I have seen, I've seen, I actually have seen two stage plays and uh, the other movie, but I think there was also a TV miniseries at one point, I'm not sure. Um, don't quote me on that. There was wrong? a show called Poirot that did a bunch of adaptations of Poirot stories, and the Orient Express was one of them, yes. Mm, okay. But I did say there's only one other movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I would sincerely hope you don't confuse a stage play for a film. But it's so, like, well act. I'm joking. I'm joking. No. Um, so I watched so Murder, on the, so Murder on the Orient Express. I'm going to assume that it is a Lost in Adaptation Kyla thing because I could not be engaged by this movie. Really? Hmm. Yes. I The mystery fell so flat to me, and I didn't care. And by the end of it, I got what they were going for and still thought more people should have gone to jail. Oh, I agree, absolutely. So um, we are going. They, to, they, so, they, they, they so, changed the original ending because so many people had seen the original movie or read the original book. So, so we're going to get into full spoilers for this. This book has yep. been around for like a fucking century. Yeah. No. If you if you don't like that, then yeah, the movie's been out for five years. No excuses. So, the entirety of the motive for this mystery hinges around the details of a case that every character in the world knows and we know dick about. Yeah, which is one of the big failings of this movie is they don't, like, work the case into our knowledge at all. Yeah, exactly. Like, it just, it's, it's, it's a background element that we get flashbacks to. But apparently every motherfucker on this train is involved with this murder, if I remember correctly? Yes, it is a murder. 
Yeah. Yes. One person stabs him to death. Eleven people stab him because. And then Poirot goes, there are no murderers here. And I'm like, bitch. Bitch, every single one of them is at least guilty of conspiracy to commit. That's why that charge exists. Yeah. And, like, I know at the beginning of the movie, he's, at the beginning of the movie, he says, there are many people in the world who would be better off dead, but we don't go around murdering them. That's why, that's what separates us from, like, animals or some shit. And then by the end of it, he goes, oh, there are no murderers here, and walks away letting these people get away with murder because the guy deserved it. And that's supposed to be some kind of arc, I guess. But the entire yep. time I'm sitting there, I am like, bruh, you arrest these you fuckers. You don't get to decide that. <laughs> they go to jail, period. Yes. yes, one of them, you know, probably the, probably the fucking mom of the woman who this guy caused to kill herself. You know, the one who organized everything. She go to jail for murder. Everyone else, fucking conspiracy and accessory. And so much of their motivations are glossed over until the very end where Perot goes insane, holds them all at gunpoint in a fucking tunnel, and then goes, you all killed him. Like it's the fucking Last Supper. And they go, ah, yes, my motivation. Oh, I don't like that. And I'm an idiot when it comes to mysteries to begin with. I do not solve mysteries good. I do, but merely by having absorbed enough of them that I recognize all the cliches. You know what I mean? Yeah, and... Like, I was sitting there the entire time. Like, at one point, I actually scrubbed back through the movie just to see if I could see something. And I was like, okay, yeah, that, that fucked up way of spelling better doesn't matter. <laughs> because it is so glaringly obvious and repeated. Like, we, we get a shot of the first letter, and then later on in the movie, when they are, when they are pulling out, like, evidence... We get two more letters that all have better spelled the exact same way. And the only other writing sample we see is an autograph on a photo of Lind Arden, the mother of Sonia Armstrong, who... Okay, so for context. Yeah. The, they, precipitating, they, instant, the precipitating instance of the entirety of Murder on the Orient Express is the Armstrong case. A colonel... Which or, is actually the most we know about it for the bulk of the film. Yeah, so... Like, military we don't guy. know much of anything about this case. Yeah, military guy, John Armstrong, his wife, Sonia. They have a young daughter named Daisy. Daisy gets fucking kidnapped. Uh, ransomed, ransomed off. Uh, the family pays the ransom, but then three days later, Daisy is found dead. This sends Sonia into premature labor, which ends up, cause, which ends up costing the life of the baby and Sonia. John Armstrong then sends off a letter to uh, Hercule Poirot, uh, Belgian super detective with a mustache so powerful it requires a holster. And that's not a joke. <laughs> he, he sleeps with a mustache cover. Yeah. It's it is so 
fucking weird. It is a double decker. <laughs> but it's a Poirot thing. It, it is, is a, a Poirot thing. It is a double decker mustache, where his mustache has its own mustache. <laughs> it's insane. But yeah, so uh, Armstrong sends off this letter to Poirot saying, hey, please help. By the time Poirot gets it, the man has already killed himself. And that's everything we know about the Armstrong case. As the film progresses, we are given revelations that land that fall on flat ears because call on deaf ears because we don't know anything. <laughs> Poirot knows stuff. Fucking book knows stuff. Everyone in this world has the context of this Armstrong case. And we just don't. So anytime, so like, like with the fucking reveal of like the count, the countess or whatever the fuck her goddamn name is. It's like, oh my God, you're Helena Goldenberg, the sister of Sonia Armstrong. And I'm like, who, what, what? She had a sister? Since when? <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, and at a, another point, like a character, uh, he fucking the the like secretary of the guy who gets murdered. He like starts burning evidence and tries to escape the train when they're like snowed in because they get hit by an avalanche and the train gets stuck. Gets fucking snowed in, and then he tries to just fucking flee, burns evidence and shit. They grab him and yeet him into a goddamn car to interrogate him. And it turns out he's the son of the fucking uh, prosecutor who was prosecuting the Armstrong case and pinned and was forced to pin it all on this fucking maid, someone who worked for the Armstrong family, who was completely innocent due to the stress of do, doing due to the stress of being fucking wrongly accused of kidnapping and murder, fucking kills herself. And then three days later is proven innocent. Yep. And I should say. Poirot pins that death on the victim, too. It's like, it's not the fault of the detective who charged her incorrectly. It's the guy who kidnapped the girl. He's the mur he's murdered all of these people. Because he's like, like, at one point, he's like, this crime is, uh, this is the murderer is responsible for taking four lives in this or something like that. And I'm just like, no, motherfucker. The cop killed that one. That well one's on the cop. Well, the cop, district attorney, the mayor, every major in the policing system. That one's not on the murderer, basically. Yeah, no. It's not like he planted a ton of evidence to frame her. You know, there was there literally was no, no evidence. evidence. <laughs> the cops were just like, I don't know, her alibi ain't that good. Go fucking, go fucking shake her, see what falls out. Just full L.A. Noir. And yeah, it... It is so frustrating. It is so fucking frustrating that the entirety of this mystery hinges on a separate mystery that we aren't told about until it becomes until it becomes revelatory for something involving this case. And e and even then we are not given the full details. Yeah, not until like the literal end of the movie. And like, uh, and 
The direction is also really fucking weird. Like, like when, when the body is found, it the entire scene is it is like a two minute fucking scene, a one take overhead shot. We don't see the body. He he like like it shows, it shows Poirot leaving his room as the as the concierge train conductor, the fucking guy what sits at the front of the car and helps people out when they need it. He's knocking at the door saying, hey, hey, Johnny Depp with a bad mustache, could you open the door, please? <laughs> Poirot, Poirot, Poirot walks up and is like, it's like, hey, can you open up? Oh, he's not opening. Shit. Bends down, feels cold air coming in from there. He's like, hey, go get, go get the doctor and go get the guy who owns the train. Breaks open the door. Dead body. Doc goes in. And, oh, he's been dead since like fucking 2 a.m. Or some shit. And then they go back to Poirot's car. Or Poirot's cabin. And this entire thing is just entirely overhead. And it looks so fucking awkward. Because it lasts for so long. And it's just completely stationary. Like there's nothing... It is all so flat so much of this movie feels so flat which is so weird because the production design is so fucking good because <laughs> like the sets costuming character design the train everything looks so fucking cool and it's shot not <laughs> and fuck like I, I thought they were just like, hey, we don't, we're not showing the body because we want to like, we want you to imagine, we want you to picture in your mind the horrible murder scene that is happening. But they just show it again later, fully. It's like, oh god, the murder is so horrible. It looked like he was stabbed twelve times randomly. And then, then they leave, do another scene, come back later, still in a fucking overhead shot, and just yank the blanket back, yank yank the blanket back. Oh look at the body. Oh yeah, look, a dumb murder. Yeah, you can see the stab wounds all over here. Here. I'm going to act out I'm gonna act out my ADR and it's all gonna be incredibly disjointed from what's actually happening in the scene. I've been really fucking anal about ADR lately. And ugh, This movie's frustrating. Now um, before you guys think that, like, you know, I agree completely with Dead here, I was able to follow the whole movie. Yeah, I wasn't like, I'm not saying like, I was lost. No, including the, like, case that we didn't get to know about. Like, I was able to piece it together. But even then, like, I, en I enjoyed the fuck out of this movie, but even, like, being able to piece things together, I was still confused as fuck by the final reveals. I was like, wait, they're all in on it? That doesn't make any sense. How are they all? Oh my god, they're all related to the case? This is stupid. Yeah, and... Like, it w this was a ride that was worth it for the ride for me, much less so for the actual destination. Because I think the ending twist of they all done it kind of takes away from it. It feels a bit lazy. 
Like, they said they wanted to change the ending. Boy, howdy, did they. Hey, I, from what I read of the original story, wasn't it they all did it? Yes, but someone actually gets punished. Ah. Like, like it's it actually ends up, like, they all cover it up. But, like, they, they're like, we still, we still have to bring someone to justice. And I'm just like, okay, you know everybody did this, so everybody, like, I'm confused. Yeah. I was I was very confused by the ending. And I don't like Murder on the Orient Express in the first place, but that's because everybody who wants to pretend to be a murder mystery fan says Murder on the Orient Express is their favorite. And that just irritates me. Yeah. Also, this is the thing that bugs me and will bug no one else. This is not this is not a criticism. This is dumb nitpicking from an asshole. Why don't they eat him off the fucking train? Like, eat the body. Because, like, they, because, like, as far as they are concerned, the train was going to go straight shot from where they were to where they were going. Everyone on the car, with the exception of one person, was in on it. So, fucking stab the shit out of them, throw them out the window, and then, hey, body's gone. What happened to him? He must have jumped off the train. And in the process of throwing the body off, hey, look, we got hit by a fucking avalanche, and now they know there's a murder that happened. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure in the original it was, like, something like, oh, no one was physically strong enough to lift him through the window or some shit. But they had multiple they don't army have people. that excuse here. They don't have that excuse here, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah, multiple able-bodied young men, several of whom were in the military. You telling me they can't yeet fucking Johnny Depp out a goddamn window? <laughs> Not to mention you had one of the employees working on the train on your goddamn payroll. They didn't actually pay him. He was he was involved because he was the sister of because his sister was the woman who they falsely accused and she killed herself. I don't know, man. It's and like I, this murder mystery has holes ooh. that even careful observation and knowledge of the tropes can't fill in. Also, this is the thing that bugs me. The very beginning of the movie made me not want to watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> So, for those who don't know, Hercule Poirot, while not explicitly stated as in the original text, has since been read as and portrayed as being OCD. Pretty much since they started having actors play Poirot, every actor has been, yeah, this guy's OCD. Well, not specifically stated, he has a lot of the traits. Yeah. And... The opening scene feels very much like one of those fucking detective stories where, oh, they have a mental illness, but that gives them super detective powers. Yeah, it very much feels like a monk episode in the very beginning. Yeah, the very beginning, uh, he is, Poirot is solving a case to establish his bona fides with the audience as being a good, as being a good detective. I am the goodest of detectives. Yeah. Uh, a he is in Jerusalem, uh, at the Wailing Wall, uh, which is why he's ultimately on the Orient Express. 
Yeah, uh, he he needs to figure out who stole a religious artifact from his temple, and the three suspects are a priest, a rabbi, and an imam. This isn't a joke. None of them did it. Yeah, the one who did it was a cop. Shocking. Cops are bad. Not all cops are bad. This one was. Because, and to pr- immediately prove that statement, a bunch of cops trying to ar- try to arrest him, but that's not what defeats him. No, what defeats him is the things Hercule Poirot set up in front of him. Mm-hmm. Because bef- as Poirot is, like, delivering his fucking monologue of, like, hey, this is how it happened, he takes his walking stick and stabs it into the wailing wall, which feels sacrilegious. Yeah, it feels offensive. And then he tells I don't know, so I'm not going to jump to their defense, but it feels like it's probably offensive. Yeah. He then tells the cop, hey, go stand at the southern, go stand at the southern fucking exit to this square we're in. And so when Poirot goes, hey, cop, you did it. The cop immediately runs south where he knows a person is stationed. Because he was literally standing there when Poirot said, hey, go guard the southern exit. I'm pretty sure that Poirot whispers that, so... He says it out loud. I'd have to rewatch the movie, which I'm not going to do. Because that that, that one's the kind of mystery where once you know it, it's not as good anymore. Yeah, so that guy fucking hoofs it to the southern exit. It was an open square. He ran through more people than running north, east, or west. Well, he couldn't run east. Well, he couldn't run west because the wall was there. But yeah, so runs down there, immediately runs into and is surprised by the man he was the man he saw be told to go guard that place. Then begins running the opposite direction and clotheslines himself on the stick he watched Poirot put into the wall. Yep. That's the part that I was just like, really? When he clotheslined himself on Poirot's cane. I can understand him being like, oh, I always take the southern route because I know it. Turns, shit, turns back. And then, like, guys stop him. Because there was a crowd of people who would have been heavily offended by the theft of these religious artifacts and the accusal of their, like, holy men. Yeah. None of them do anything. Not a single fucking person. And this, it's not like the guy is, like, waving a gun around to fend these people off. He doesn't draw shit. He just books it. Yeah. But then, after that dumb shit, where it is, where it is, I'm, I'm OCs, why have superpowers? It is then immediately undercut and kind of saves itself by having this insane OCD person run into just a buddy. And they feel like friends. The dialogue is trash because it was written by idiots. But it goes a long way of having Poirot feel like a person. I'm going to disagree and say that, like, while some of the dialogue was all awkward, I actually thought most of it sounded reasonable and, you know. I, I meant specifically the dialogue with Book. Book. Whatever the yeah, that... Yeah, the back and forth with the first back and forth with book was like, all right, we got to establish this guy's entire identity in like a minute. Yeah, this is the greatest detective in the world, Hercule Poirot. And it's like, oh, hello. No, I'm in book's identity. No, like I'm doing the back and forth. Oh, okay. 
the greatest detective in the world, Hokia Poro. Oh, and I'm a prostitute. A prostitute, I'm sure. I can't do a French accent. A prostitute, I am sure. Yes. You see, Book is a piece of shit. <laughs> but we're friends because Poirot doesn't give a shit that I'm a piece of shit. He's my kind of piece of shit. Yeah. He is an asshole, but he is my asshole. <laughs> but it felt like a real friendship. It felt like... It, it felt genuine. And it felt genuine in a way that is completely incongruous with the way Hercule was set up at the beginning of the fucking movie. Because when you have... Honestly, I could actually see, like, we've got, like, two minutes to introduce ourselves, so you and me doing something similar to introduce ourselves to someone. It's like me giving a a few words about you. Hey, this is Dead, the obsessive-compulsive runner of the site who's hyper-negative and will ruin a D&D game by asking why too many times. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Cave. Give him a rule set, he will force his way to break it. <laughs> see, I could see... I, that's that's why I'm okay with that dialogue, because I could see two real people actually doing that. I can't. Uh, even if it's only as a joke. Even if it's only to take the piss out of each other. Which is kind of how their friendship felt, at least a little bit to me. Yeah, a tiny They bit. felt like the friends who would, like, take the piss out of each other constantly. Yeah, because they both know, like... Like, both of them openly admit that Book is a piece of shit. But Book's <laughs> cool with it, because he's like, Yeah, I am. What of it? I'm rich as shit, bitch. I'm a rich motherfucker. And Poro's... I've got enough, I've got enough money to buy, sell, and then borrow you. Yeah, and then Poro's like... I mean, yeah, he's a piece of shit, but he doesn't give a fuck that I'm a detective and doesn't constantly badger me about details. He just hangs out and talks to me like a person. We talked for an hour about how how disappointing the Brie was once. And at no point did it come up like that I had solved uh, the case of the Maharaja's missing diamond like two days ago. It was great. Yeah. That all felt super solid. And it, and it w- didn't turn into like a... It didn't turn into, like, a Holmes-Watson thing, which I kind of feared it would be. Yeah, I did, too. But it didn't. Uh, the man is just... They were just bros. Yeah, they are they are bros. When the murder happens, the guy's like, okay, fuck. This could damage my dad's company. Please, Poro, help a brother out. And then is there with him for a lot of his interrogations and investigation stuff, but he's not, like... He's not there to, like, have... Poirot, like, bounce ideas off of it and then have him go, my god, Poirot, you're a genius. No, he's just there. He, honestly, it feels more like he's there because he has to be, because I, fe- I really genuinely feel like if he had had the option, he would have just gone off and had a cuppa. Absolutely. <laughs> if this had occurred anywhere other than on the train he owns, he would not All give right, a Poirot, fuck. Poirot, you got this? I'm gonna have a cuppa. <laughs> yeah. And by cuppa, I mean a couple prostitutes. What up, ladies? <laughs> Who wants on this dick? <laughs> We're stopped in the ice cold mountains. Who wants to warm up? <laughs> hey, ladies, I got a warm train car, a bottle of bubbly, and my dick is thick as an encyclopedia. Let's go, baby. <laughs> I, I feel like Poirot would immediately follow up. It is only as big as the section on you, as in the letter U. <laughs> It's not much. 
just come in, tear him down a little bit. Yeah. And then, then he responds with, well, my wallet is as thick as all of the encyclopedias. What you got there? Yeah. And to be fair, I know how to use it quite well. <laughs> my wallet, I mean. Yes. I paid someone to teach me how to use my dick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, yeah. Sadly, he's not as much of a character as I would have liked him to be. Yeah. Because, like, going into it, I was like, oh, this guy's fun. I want him to be a main character. Yeah. No? Kind of like a... Not a Watson, but a Gus. For psych fans, I guess. Yeah. But, no, he's just kind of... He's there to go, hey, yeah, he, he do- could have been a Gus. Yeah, he, he's there to go, hey, did he do it? And Poirot goes, nah. Shit. What about this guy? No? Uh, oh, man, I could be with a prostitute right now. Oh, I could have brought so many prostitutes on this train. But no, a countess was here, so I wasn't allowed prostitutes. God, Dad. Once I take over, I'm making every, I'm making every train of a prostitute car. <laughs> oh, that would actually do really, really well in certain countries. Oh, Lord, yes. I think that's a car on Snowpiercer. <laughs> But yeah, and so <coughs> the thing that pers- and I will say after that opening scene, I actually really did like Poro. Like as a detective, he was interesting. As a performance by Kenneth Branagh, he made the guy super over the top and very charismatic. You know what I would what would have saved that intro scene where he like uh, where he OCDs his way to saving the day? Was that if like he had been if he had afterwards said I expected him to be caught at the south entrance <laughs> and just like standing there baffled that the guy ran into the cane? One line like there are a lot of one line moments in this movie where I'm like oh, one line and you could have saved it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. Where it's one line away from, and not even necessarily the line I'm thinking of, but a line that could have saved a, sent- a situation where I'm like, this is uncomfortable and doesn't feel, like, real. Yeah, but one thing that does feel very real to me is Poirot just by himself, just cackling at a book he's reading. <laughs> like that and his thing with eggs. Oh yeah, he's he's obsessed. It's compulsive. <laughs> it's a disorder. Yeah, it's it's just like these little things that Brana does that that probably were written, probably probably directed. I don't like I, movies are a collaborative effort, but it's these, it's these little things that make Poirot feel like way more of a person. Like it, it almost borders on the line of being somewhat cartoony, given his fucking mustache. His mustache is great in this. Yeah, the amazing mustache, but then also him like having to have two har- having to have two like fresh hard boiled eggs at the exact same height measured with a fucking stick every morning, and then him just guffawing like a goddamn madman reading a tale of two cities. It like borders on the line of like cartoon almost. But there's like enough there that grounds it in just being a very eccentric person. I will say, 
a thing that feels entirely superfluous and feels like it was added for American audiences is a love interest. Because he has some... Because he has like a There was a love interest? The photo. I must have completely ignored that. Yeah, he, yeah. Poirot sets up this fucking photo. I think her name's like Catherine or something. That he's just like talking to every once in a while. Like lamenting a love lost or some shit. And I'm just like, okay, that feels like something put in for American audiences. Because if it wasn't in there, people would be complaining, Why didn't they fuck the old lady? Ew. Okay, not old lady. She's a love. She's a lovely lady, but you. Okay, not old lady. I mean, why didn't he fuck Michelle Pfeiffer? Oh yeah. Yeah, not Judy Dench. I apologize to Michelle Pfeiffer. That was. I apologize to Dame Judy Dench. <laughs> <laughs> I think she'd have better taste than Poirot. Yeah. But Mrs. Hubbard, yo, she'd ride those mustaches. <laughs> She was thirsting for it. <laughs> Which, in hindsight, was probably just a some kind of ploy to get Poirot to just not be involved. If I distract him with sex, then a uh, detective from, you know, the cops who won't be able to solve this will come around. Yeah. Wait a minute. He doesn't want to fuck? God damn it, my plate is ruined. <laughs> oh, but Book will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Book be down. Oh man! But I book. feel like she'd be. I feel like she wouldn't even attempt it with book. <laughs> Too much self-respect. Yeah, <laughs> she knows book, and book. If book would make a move, she'd go. I know what kind of man you are, and he'd go. Fair enough. Oh, <laughs> uh, we like we're making fun of book, but he's actually one of the better characters in this. Yeah. Because, like, none of our murderers, and everyone on the train is our, is supposedly a murderer, have any character. Yeah, they're all so fucking paper thin. It is, it is they have one personality trait, and that is it. And it's, it's a shame, too. Yeah, like, this cast is insane. It's like a super talented cast that they are just given nothing because the characters outside of the main outside of like fucking Michelle Pfeiffer aren't really supposed to be characters. They're supposed to be stand-ins for you to go, "Huh, did he do it? Did she do it?" Which is get, a sign of a bad mystery in my opinion. Yeah, and then you get to the end and go, "Oh, they all did it." Oh. And the thing that precipitated the entirety of this is there's a sequel coming out in a couple months. Yeah, Death on the Nile. Which I'm interested in. Which Because it's finally a Poirot movie that isn't Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, it is a Poirot story, and apparently Book's in it. Well, he was the best character in the last movie, so... Yeah, but like, yeah, they, they are building out a Poirot storyline and like cinematic thing. And just making Book his sidekick. I'm okay with that. I like Book. Yeah. Uh, it is weird that there's an actual cannibal in this movie. Like, the actor? Yeah. Ew. Yeah, Army Hammer. Uh, yeah, in 
For reference, in January of 2021, multiple women came forward alleging oh, that yeah. Hammer had abused him, had abused them. An anonymous Instagram account released screenshots. It claimed her messages from Hammer uh, had that he, they had sent to various women he had affairs with in between 2016 and 2020, describing sexual fantasies including violence, rape, and cannibalism. Don't eat people. Apparently, one woman claimed that uh, he branded her by carving an A into her pelvis. Ow. Uh, a serious suggestion was made that she have a lower rib surgically removed so he could eat it. Another woman claimed that uh, she was that uh, they, they dated for five months during which he was emotionally abusive, saying that he wanted to eat her flesh and would suck and lick her wounds if she had a little cut on her hand. Does he think he's a vampire or something? I don't know. So Hammer has denied these claims. Uh, Categorically. Yeah. And in March 2021, someone just straight up said, yo, he just raped me. Uh, this is the woman who had initially come forward about the abuse allegations, uh, claiming that... Uh, Hammer had abused her in 2017. Police have since confirmed that he was the uh, subject of a sexual assault investigation. Hammer's legal team has denied allegations of it. That is what I have in terms of information. So it is weird that he's in a big-ass fucking movie like this. <sighs> I, I have no comment. Yeah. So in terms of I, Agatha, I got nothing. yeah. So in terms of Agatha Christie mysteries, this was not a great one to start out on, because this is my first no, Agatha Christie adaptation. Knows it's the one everyone knows. So like, at least you can get other people's opinions on it. Mine being, you chose the wrong one, son. Yeah, but like, <laughs> I knew of other ones. I knew like, and then there were none. Uh, and then there were none is a great one. There's actually a really good live action mini series that they did a few years back. That was it was so good. Yes, we have talked about so it on the show before. I I, I despise. I, I I know I know, but I I still am angry at how they changed the ending. Also, so dumb. I fucking idiot. But for whatever reason, I assumed Agatha Christie was American. I think she'd be very angry at you for that. Yes, she would. Because she's British. She was very proud, too. Yep. So, yeah. I. Yeah, Murder on the Orient Express. Not very good. Hopefully, the Death of Nile is better. It looks like production design is still on the same level. So hopefully the director either got better at directing or doesn't feel the need to have so many overhead shots. <laughs> uh, <sighs> we're going to get so many overhead shots and tombs. Yeah. But anyway. Needless to say, I have since downloaded the uh, PDF for horror on the Orient Express, the... Uh, Call Cthulhu Adventure. <gasps> we could bring Birdie into the Call of Cthulhu games. <laughs> yeah. I would just need to read the six volumes of it. 
Well, not necessarily to immediately run that game, but like. No, I know, but I still need to read the second person just for reference. Yeah, I look forward to him setting his credit score to max and then asking how many guns can I have. He's not that bad. Yeah, it is. He is a he's a person doing. He's a person who's coming from D and D and stuff into Call of Cthulhu for the first time. He will ask how many guns can I have. I I have I have run other systems for him before. He's well. He's not like I'm not going to guarantee he won't behave that way. He does have experience in non D and D systems. Of course, they're all systems that are high combat. So he yeah. probably will ask how many guns can I have. I mean, you have. I mean, you have a lot of experience in non D and non D and D systems. I, I, all I wanted was to make sure I had my weapon on me. I didn't ask how many guns could I have. <laughs> no, but you have since made almost every character have a gun or some kind of weapon. Well, yes, because I'm fighting evil. <laughs> you don't know that. Yes, and I've always figured out how to make it work for my character to have that gun, like <laughs> logically and reasonably. I'm going to visit my friend upstate. I better bring my chainsaw. He's a woodsman. He's well, not he's going dead to now. woodsman. Yes, but he just carries his tools in his trunk. A lot of workers do that. He went by train. Yeah, his trunk, his traveling trunk. <laughs> oh, so are you going to check your luggage? Oh, yeah, it's just a chainsaw. <laughs> uh, enough about that. Speaking of bad fantasy stuff, I guess let's talk about Shadowhunters. I don't know why I started watching this. Like genuinely, I know what this is. It's awful. I think I finished the first season. So I think you have watched an adaptation of this story with me before, Cave. Really? Yeah. Were you there when we did City of Bones, the Mortal Instruments movie? I don't think so. I don't I, remember City of Bones at all. We did it for the site. I know that. I'm checking the site now. Oh, apparently Cora did a review of the first season. Or at least the first episode. Oh, no, that would have been with uh, Birdie and Jimmy. Okay, good. Then I'm not just forgetting an entire movie. Don't worry, it was very forgettable. But, for those unaware, Shadowhunters is based off of the uh, Mortal Instruments series of books. A series of books that started out as, I believe, Harry Potter fan fiction. Yeah, I believe it was Ginny Draco fanfic. Ew. Oh, save your ooh. We'll get there. No, too late. My ooh is out. Okay, sis. Build up a new ooh, because it's going to get worse. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll work on building up a new ooh. So... The basic idea with Mortal Instruments is, in the world, there are monsters and stuff. Demons, werewolves, vampires, fey creatures you? and stuff. Demons and angels. And there is an organization called Shadowhunters, which are people with angel blood in them. Who 
brand themselves with magic tattoos that give them enhanced abilities, and they use these abilities to police the magical world and keep other mundane people safe. I can literally think of at least a half dozen shows that have that same basic we police the magical world to keep the mortal world safe concept. Right. That's... Man, that has been done to death. So, the series revolves around Clary Frey. A 18-year-old girl just got accepted into art college. Who... As she discovers her mysterious abilities and gets drawn into a world beyond belief. Yes. Because it turns out her mom is a very well-known shadow hunter who used to who is a founding member of a terrorist organization. Oh, lovely. And whose father is the current leader of that terrorist organization who also co-founded it. Uh, they are yeah, so this this organization called the Circle is after the Mortal Cup. It's the Holy Grail, literally. And it is the only thing capable of making new shadow hunters because the only way to make new shadow hunters currently is to have sex and make a baby. But they can't exactly pump out a whole new breed and then wait the fucking 18 years to get them up to a level that they can be cops. They need to like get fresh faced people who are already old and competent and trained and then give them fucking angel blood and shit. And it's all leading, that's all leading with the circle going toward like full genocide run. Meanwhile, the shadow hunters are just cocks. It's an organization run by this uh, thing called the Clave. That's their governing body. And they are fucking dumbasses. Like they make every wrong decision possible and make so many like boneheaded dipshit decisions that I can't picture this organization lasting two years let alone thousands like they literally have a guy in their organization who is a former circle member and they put a curse on him that if he ever mentions the circle or anything related to the circle he is put into immense pain so they can't even interrogate him about anything that's stupid the idea is to keep him from like proselytizing about it or whatever but there are so many other ways they could do that interrogate him and then kill him yeah uh the interrogate him first because you need that info everything is so insanely political it is it's just politics done by dumbasses so politics yeah and the main thrust that kind of gets her into this world is Clary and her best friend, Simon, who is just her best friend, nothing else, just her best friend. Keep that in mind. Uh, in the movie, he was played by Robert Sheehan, I believe his name is, of The Misfits. The TV show, not the band. He played the best character. <laughs> he is also now in the Umbrella Academy, where he continues to play the best character. <laughs> Yeah, like so they go to they go they go they go to a club uh where she sees the shadow hunters murder a demon. But no one else can see it. Because, you know, Mundies, as they are referred to. They're not special. Uh well no, uh they kind of. 
Shadow Hunters have a specific brand that makes them invisible to people who aren't Shadow Hunters or magical creatures. So they can literally just walk around doing their business and if you aren't a, if you aren't magic, no one can see you. And she sees this all happen and then sees a boy. Oh, this boy hot. <laughs> and, oh, this boy hot. <laughs> and I feel like they lucked out because the guy they cast has heterochromia. Oh, that is lucky. Right? That is just fucking you need to make a hot magic boy find you a bitch with heterochromia (laughs) Uh, and if you can't get heterochromia get someone with pale eyes and give them a contact right and yeah so they inevitably get drawn together and they're like oh yeah it's so fucking hot then when they meet the villain the villain goes oh hey guess what I'm your dad and also I'm your dad I was actually going to ask, is the twist their brother and sister? No, the twist is they're not. Okay. But there is a huge chunk where both of them think they are, but still desperately want to fuck. It is Is that an wild. ew moment? Is that is that where I, where I was saving my ew for? Yes, it is okay. wild. Because... That was a fucking choice. That is a choice that this writer chose. Because apparently, a lot of their fanfic, when it wasn't being like Ginny fucking Draco, was just incest. For those who aren't super familiar with fandom, fanfic culture, there is an insane amount of fanfiction built around incest yeah if you've watched any supernatural that gets brought up there multiple times the number of people who want those two brothers to fuck disgusts me yes it's called twincest but they're not twins it don't matter oh it's also called wincest that's what it is, Wincess. Twincess is a different thing. My, my apologies. Mm-hmm. My terms for having these siblings fuck is confusing me. <sighs> so much. So, so much. There's just a lot of incest in, like, fringe content. And not even fringe content. There's a lot of incest in fucking mainstream content. Yeah, there is. <sighs> like even mainstream porn doesn't go full incest. These no, are like they're like step bro. Yeah. And in a lot of that stuff, they go out of their way to go. Not so deep. Yeah, and a lot and a lot of that stuff they go out of their way to go. All right, our parents. All right, our parents married each other five months ago, and I just met you like yesterday. You want to fuck? Shall we have sex to spite them? Yeah. Since neither of us approved the marriage. Yeah, and it's not. We've known each other since we were five, and we've been raised together. You want to fuck? They save that for the CW. Look at you, Flash. 
that still is I don't know why but that is for some reason the most baffling part of that entire show the fact that these two people raised as siblings from the age of 10 where well fuck yeah where Barry is like hey Joe you are my father Iris is like my sister I want to marry her and everyone's like yes this is normal this is a healthy relationship Oh, sorry. One guy points out it's weird. Just at some point, I think like season three, it's like, are you dating that guy who was like your brother? Anyway, moving on. Yeah, but I can't really throw stones about that stuff. I can make fun of it. But... Someone finds my search. The stone would be too heavy. Yeah, someone finds the porn I watch. It goes bad. <laughs> but what you look for in porn, you don't look for in regular stuff. <laughs> it was for research. <laughs> yes, I'm doing a research paper. On sibling fucking. Also, I can't get too into it. The lighting is awful. <laughs> that has actually pulled me out of porn before. <laughs> where I just go into it it's like who the fuck lit this Continu- continuity errors will fuck me like if I'm trying to watch like an actual proper porn and not just two people having sex yeah like 99% of the time two women yeah continuity errors are weird uh, just like really awkward camera stuff like I I cannot tell you the amount of times I've seen where two people get fucking, and then the camera guy's just moving the camera around, super awkwardly trips over his own cables. You see the lighting guy. Couple times where they, couple times where like they're trying to get close, and then they just like bump the fucking boom mic into their clit or something. That's enough about porn. <laughs> we'll be starting the porn reviews. <laughs> no, no, we won't. We, we will, will not, not be doing porn reviews ever. Uh, we have too much. Uh you know, desire to keep the site actually running. Well, that wouldn't really affect it. Like, we don't have we don't have sponsors we're going to lose. Like, the federal government yeah, but... the federal government of Ontario is not going to look at what I spend their money on and go, okay, our kind is funding. <laughs> then the federal government uh, of Ontario just shows up like, yeah, we heard that. We're cutting your funding. <laughs> no porn reviews. <laughs> Or they threaten to cut my funding if I don't do the porn reviews. <laughs> it's like, hey, look, you if you want to keep earning $800 a month, here's my browser's login info. These scenes. I expect written Someone needs reviews, to critique these. At least a thousand words. Rating out of five. Written by you. Do not pass this off on Cora. <laughs> and definitely do not pass it off on Cave. We know his writing style. How you never written anything for the site? Exactly. <laughs> it would never, it would never show up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the fucking dog shit move. Hey, get Cave to review porn, or we cut your funding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man. We know he made an account. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, so... 
Story-wise, it's generic and unremarkable. Character-wise, it is fine if you don't, if you take out the implied sibling fucking. But that's all the character. Because some of the characters are all right. Uh, it may just be because I... It may just be because I feel a kindred kindredship with this kid, but the nerdy friend Simon, who is just a friend and nothing else, I don't hate him. <laughs> I, I do not come from a position of loathing with him. Yeah. In particular. He also has an actual storyline that isn't just, hey, I love you, please love me. Because he becomes a vampire. Uh, so many times in media is that, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And also, the two of them actually do try dating for a bit. It doesn't work out, but they still remain good friends afterwards. Which I don't think I've seen happen in YA fiction like this. Yeah. That's because a lot of times you get the uh the whole like they were destined to be together, but they didn't realize because they were friends for like the longest. Oh, I never got that. It was usually, it was usually. Oh, I love you, but there's a hot guy here. Fuck, I don't like him. But and then by the end of it, I still don't like him. But you chose him, so I guess I have no choice. And then at the end, he's given a he's given a consolation. Fucking. Or you, the, or you go the Twilight route and he tries to fuck your baby. Yeah. As I delve more into watching YA shit, I realize I know a frightening amount about Twilight. Like, I hate Twilight. I know everything about Twilight. It is very concerning for me. Yeah, that's not healthy, man. It is not at all. <laughs> like, fuck, man. I know more about Twilight than I do about D&D lore. Well, they keep changing the lore, so. But that's not healthy, man. <sighs> that's just not healthy. Knowing anything about Twilight isn't healthy. But yeah, also, something else that uh, at least I haven't seen a lot in uh, these stories is <coughs> is someone coming out as gay. Because maybe, maybe yeah, usually they start as gay. Exactly, right? It's just, hey, here are these characters. This one is gay. But this but this storyline, maybe just because this is an older YA thing. Like, we may, I may just be familiar with, like, newer YA stuff. But, like, old YA, like, like this YA thing. <coughs> uh, yeah, one of the main characters spends, like, the first, like, two-thirds of season one completely in the closet. And it has, like, ramifications on storyline and his relationship with characters. And then he comes out as gay. And it's like, hey, this... It didn't feel pandering and felt like it actually did serve a bit of a purpose. Which I know is putting weird expectations on, like, gay people in storylines. But if you're going to have a storyline where a person is coming out as gay, having that have an effect on relationships because like the turmoil, yeah. the turmoil that builds with him being gay is not 
oh my god, you're gay? How? Oh my god, you're gay? This changes my opinion on you. Everyone knew he was gay. He just wouldn't Except admit for it. him. <laughs> no, he knew it. He just ignored. I, I prefer. I prefer the ones who don't know that they're gay. Like I, I, I like it when because there's a lot. It's it's actually a real thing. Is wait, I'm gay. That's why I like men. Yeah. I actually uh, am working on a story right now where uh, there are two characters who grew up in a repressed society, so they thought the only way you could actually be in a loving relationship was with is if you were with someone of the opposite sex, and then they meet like an island of like a bunch, like basically uh, Lesbos. They go to Lesbos, and it's like, wait, gay- being gay is a thing. <laughs> okay, I'm down for that. I- I'm down for gay. <laughs> I just, I've just had the, I just had this clip running in my head. It's like I'm not gay. I have sex with women, and relationship, I have relationships with women, and sex with men. <laughs> Ice tea. I got news for you. That means you're gay. It is the only clip I think I've seen from SVU, and it is hilarious. Just <laughs> this massive fucking black football player. I have relationships with women. And sex with men. <laughs> I got news for you. That means you're gay. <laughs> uh, oh, that's wild. No, like just hey, to make it clear, all of our, the stance of this site is that be who you want to be. Yeah. Right. So long as that, so long as that isn't evil. If you ain't hurting nobody, you're fine. Yep. And if you are hurting anybody, make sure that you get their permission to do it first, because BDSM is okay. Yeah. Speaking of, read Sunstone. (laughs) I've not tried getting into Mercy yet, though. Mercy is the sequel to Sunstone. For those curious. Anyway, yeah, like his... Like, this kid's entire character arc is... He has basically, like, he's from a politically powerful family within this organization. And this is also kind of the incest thing because he was raised alongside the dudes in love with since they were like eight as brothers. Yay. They knew, like, it, again, like, they, this, the Flash thing a bit, they knew they weren't related, but it was still like, hey, we're bros. Uh, they actually, there is a thing within this world called the Parabatai, which is like two shadow hunters joined together in a ritual that empowers their abilities when they're closer to each other. Okay, so kind of like ceremony in D&D. Yeah. Which and- I still have yet to get a player who's willing to let me cast ceremony on them. <laughs> Like every time I'm in a game, I'm like, "By the way, I took ceremony." All the other players are like, "Nope." There are uh, there are effects besides marriage. <laughs> I know, right? But all, none of them want them. I just <laughs> like, I, "Nope." I don't even bother taking ceremony because I know how they're gonna. Re- I know how they're gonna respond. I take ceremony in case NPCs ever want to be married. <laughs> you take ceremony, just mutter under your breath and go, and then ask them two. Que- <laughs> and then ask both of them two questions where they where the answer is yes. <laughs> And then go, huzzah, legally binding, later, fuckers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have to do that. I have to make it I have to make it a bad guy NPC who just runs around marrying people against their will. 
by the power invested in me, fuck all of you. <laughs> oh, I'm doing that now. I need to make a note of that. <laughs> yeah, so that thing is, I think that whole thing is like cool. Like having it be this like long standing thing with this character who everyone accepts is just like, hey, like everyone, basically everyone important to him is like, hey, we know when you want to accept it yourself, we're here for you. And then he eventually does and ends up with this like thousand year old wizard. Which, hey, cool. He didn't fuck his brother. Neat. It's guy love. That's all it is. That's all it is. And uh, another character who I feel like I only have a soft spot for because he's played by Isaiah Mustafa, a.k.a. the Old Spice guy. <laughs> but he is uh, he's basically Clary's stepdad and a cop and also a werewolf. And also a former shadow hunter. He wears a lot of hats. Man, this is fanfic 101. This is fanfic as fuck, dude. <laughs> like, it's just like, alright, I love this character. And they're gonna have this power, and this power. Ooh, and this one, too. <laughs> just like, no, limit your characters. Yeah, which actually, the interesting thing is, the main character, Clary. Like, you just described four characters in that guy. The dad, the cop, the werewolf, and the shadow hunter. You can merge two of them. But when you're merging four, it's just like the fuck. Yeah, and that's the insane thing. Like that usually works. The, that usually happens to the main character because they're just like fucking some Mary Sue thing. It's like, hey, I'm a fucking otherkin with nine lives, seven dicks, and purple hair. But this, but like Clary is shockingly one of the more boring characters <laughs> because she's just, hey, I was a shadow hunter and I have one special ability which I share with my mother. Which is, she can take physical objects and put them into, like, paper or medium and turn it into a drawing. That's cool as fuck. Yes, it is. For a thief. Well, it's also cool as fuck because, like, hey, we're looking for the Mortal Cup. They've had it the entire time because her mom had, like, hand-drawn this deck of tarot cards and one of them had a cup in it. Hmm. That's clever. Yeah, it's neat. And it's and it's like actually I still say it's more useful for a thief, but neat. Yeah, it's useful for a thief, but it also like is an interesting ability in and of itself and is set up relatively well. Like I like I knew it because I'd seen the movie and I knew that shit happens. But I thought it was still like relatively well set up. It handled it handles this power being a unique thing to her family, but not being some super fanciful, oh my god, you because of this power, you're the chosen one. Which is always a threat in these fucking stories. As far as I'm as far as I'm aware, at least from what I have seen of the show, Clary is within the world of Shadowhunters. Just kinda ordinary. So I like, can appreciate I, that. Yeah, honestly, it is a breath of fresh air in a way to have this to have a person involved in a magic society and they aren't goddamn Jesus. Like, yeah, she is the daughter of the main bad guy, but that's about it. 
that is that is kind of where her importance begins and ends. She is the child of she is the child she's the child of magic Hitler. And that's it. And I will give this and I will give the series that. It'd be better if it if it'd be better if anyone in the show could actually act. <laughs> there is a hilarious scene in the first episode where this actress, who, in fairness to her, I've seen on other things and has gotten considerably better. She's still not very good, but she's better. There's a scene in the first episode where she has to try to act and like respond and react to nothing. And holy hell is it bad. It is... Oh, so awful. And a chunk of the side characters are alright, but a lot of it is... This is a freeform show. So it is like CW but a step down in terms of acting quality. And like choreography-wise, editing-wise, acting-wise, directing-wise, it's trash. Like, I think I told you before, like, how this is one of the, like, worst acted, worst written, worst directed, worst edited, worst choreographed shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking about this. Oh, okay. It is so bad. And I'm probably going to end up watching more of it. <laughs> that's our dead man. Yep. Isekai and Trash TV, that's my brand. <sighs> anyway. Those are for trash. Uh, stuff that I liked. <laughs> I have two things. Uh, so do you actually care about... Do you care about spoilers for Hawkeye? No. Okay, cool. Because I want to talk about the ending of Hawkeye. Alright. Because it kind of followed a WandaVision trajectory, where the ending is the worst part of it. That's actually where I am right now in my Marvel watch. I'm at WandaVision. Okay. Uh, so, like, that's kind of the roadblock for me, is just like, alright, let's let's get into WandaVision. And eh, no. <laughs> yeah, WandaVision, I'd... <sighs> I don't like sitcoms, and that's how it was advertised to me, so... Okay, it's it's closer to, like, an existential horror than a sitcom, because it, it's, it's a sitcom of an existential horror. Yeah, I, I... Oh, I've gathered, I've watched reviews of it. But just getting past that initial, like, it's not really a sitcom when it feels so much like a sitcom is just difficult. Okay, difficult. fair enough. I will say that WandaVision, of like these Marvel shows, is probably the best tied with Loki. I think Loki is better overall, but WandaVision has way more highs, but also way lower See, lows. I I hate the ending of Loki, but I'll get into that when I get into that. Uh-huh. But yeah, so with Hawkeye, it is solid, I think, throughout. It has a, it has a lot of, like, funny moments. Jeremy Renner is a... Jeremy Renner is very solid as this version of Hawkeye. Uh, it's pulling kind of, I guess for comic fans, it's pulling more from, like, the ultimate version of Hawkeye than Marvel Comics Hawkeye. Well, they always tend to pull from the ultimate version of Hawkeye. Yeah, uh, Kate Bishop, while she can be a bit too fangirly for me at times, I also still really like her, and Haley Steinfeld does a fantastic job playing the character. 
I think I talked about it on like comics with like the comics guys, Birdie and Nico. But the second it was like the second they announced Haley Steinfeld to Kate Bishop, I was like, okay, yes, that's perfect. Because I really like Kate Bishop. And again, fangirly stuff aside, I think they did a really great job of showing her being very competent, but still new to all this. Like, I really like that one of the first things they show her do is fail. Because the first time we see her, she's attempting to pick up, she's attempting to pick a lock, then tries it, can't do it, gets frustrated, and just scales the building. That'd be my response. <laughs> if I had the capability, it'd be like, all right, let's pick this lock. Yeah. Later, we see her pick a lock and succeed at it. But it seems like that was like time has passed. So she got better at it. And we see a lot of that where we see where we'll see like her attempt to do something, fail at it and then get it and then get it later. Because she is. She is very competent, but very green. And I really like that aspect about the character. Um, as things progress, like the storyline begins, like and like develops, uh, we get the reveal that Kingpin is in it. You know, Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin from Daredevil. Whoa! It was a big moment that I Whoa. knew was coming because a I'd read news about how Kingpin, uh, how Vincent D'Onofrio might be in it, and also it's a story with Echo, who is the adopted daughter of Kingpin. Of course, he's gonna be fucking in it. Whoa! And despite my despite my blase nature describing it all, I actually do like this. I like I like a lot of the like Netflix Marvel shows, and so bringing those actors back, I like because I like most of those actors. <clears throat> Iron Fist sucked. <clears throat> and yeah, so they brought they brought Kingpin back, and he's like this big threatening thing but I feel like the writers for this have been written have written too many like bigger scale Marvel things because they make him a bit too indestructible like he takes an arrow just a regular ass arrow point blank to the chest snaps it off and is totally fine he gets hit by a car through a building and is totally fine he gets exploded by multiple arrows marked extremely dangerous is totally fine Wow. That's... Wow. Yeah, like, the reason he was okay. such a tank in Daredevil is partially because he's fucking massive, but then also because he had, like, bulletproof, like, fantasy armor sewed into all of his clothing. Like... Uh, fun fact for all you listening, bulletproof does not mean bladeproof. Usually quite the opposite. So, given that most arrowheads are, you know, blades... This should fuck him up pretty well. Well, also, it's fantasy bulletproof, so it's everything proof. Hmm. You know, it's the John Wick running down the hallway holding his jacket up in front of his face because it's bulletproof. You know, that... I remember... I, I didn't watch the movie, but I remember that scene, and I remember being incredibly embarrassed for him because that material is not thick enough to stop anything bigger than, like, a twenty-two. Yeah, but it's magic. It's fantasy. Suspension of disbelief. Yeah, it's sci-fi magic. If we can... I guess if we can believe that there is a 
fancy hotel-based assassination organization that has reach all over the entire planet and can cover up murders at any level of government, we can believe a jacket can be made bulletproof. <laughs> but, yes, he takes all that and is fucking totally fine and is actually getting up and still kicking ass in this fucking fight. He is superhuman in a way that feels entirely disconnected from how superhuman he was within the world of Daredevil. Let's not forget, in Daredevil, he almost gets killed by Matt Murdock punching him in the face. A bunch. Matt Murdock, a man without super strength, who cannot hit harder than a car, but did more damage than a car. <laughs> who cannot hit harder than a car. You know, as someone who's been hit by several cars, I would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> You've been hit by cars going slow. This car was going fast. Oh, okay. There's the difference there. Yeah, okay. Matt Murdock, who cannot hit harder than a fast-moving car. <laughs> oh, mother of Dios. Yeah, and we got like this, like... And we got, and we got like the big final action scene, and a lot of that felt very awkwardly choreographed like there was a wonder they had to do where it was uh, it was Kate Bishop and Yelena Black Widow's sister fighting through an office building mm-hmm. and a lot of it felt so it it wasn't a wonder it was it was like it was it was portrayed as a wonder but it was had very obviously hidden cuts every time they moved between rooms mm-hmm. and so it was a lot of continuity errors in there and everything like the momentum was just kind of like starting and stopping because they'd like run through and then they get to the next room, and it felt like they started running. So it'd be like, in terms of momentum, and it all felt super fucking weird. And people love Florence Pugh in this role. They love Yelena. It's like, oh yeah, Florence Pugh, she's amazing. I found her insanely annoying. You know what I would have kind of liked? What's that? A sitcom about Hawkeye. Just being a good dad and being a carpenter and periodically superheroes show up. Just, like, have dinner. <laughs> yeah. Like, that would be fun. That would be fun. Because that's who Hawkeye was. Hawkeye was, like, the dad of the group. Yeah. And he still is. I mean, this entire... Like, this... This entire show ostensibly has a ticking clock down to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Despite them only ever using a title card to show what day it is once. And that title card being the Christmas day when they arrive back at the farm. Ah, it's so weird. And also, weird other thing. For the final fucking episode, Jeremy Renner was not on set for half of it. Interesting. Jeremy Renner is very clearly just green screened into like 50% of the shots in the first half of the episode. Then he's there for the final, there for the action scene. And then at the very end, when they are like burning the Ronin suit, he is comped in. It's just Haley Steinfeld standing next to the barbecue. And then the comp of Jeremy Renner. And it looks so obvious and so awkward. And I'm just like, did Jeremy Renner get like, was there like a COVID scare and so he couldn't be on set? Did he did he just lose a bunch of the footage? Did he just not show up? 
Like what he's the a, fuck? He's a, he's a, what I know of him, he's very professional. So like, if he wasn't there, there was a good reason. Did he have a concert he was performing at? That might have been like they might have had a double schedule. Yeah, just was it like scheduling conflicts. I I don't know, and I can't find anyone else talking about it. And it bugs me. Ugh. So yeah, final thing. Uh, Witcher season two. Uh, it is better than the first season. But I have one episode left and I don't have any real desire to finish it. It is... It's taking... It, so, the first season of The Witcher was pretty rough. Just, it is... It's taking a lot of things that are entirely episodic and trying to build a larger narrative surrounding them. Uh, the timeline is super confusing. Everyone is super disconnected because it's like telling these three separate stories that are supposed to be converging, but we have no sense of time or scale, really. So, all of it feels very disjointed getting in the second season though there is a better through line there it is it is we have like we're, we're following basically two stories uh Geralt's yeah Geralt's and Yennefer's because Ciri is now just with Geralt and they still bring in some of the episodic aspects of it just be, just from, like the early books like, the Beauty and the Beast bit is in it. Because for those who don't know, uh, the Witcher books, at least, have a trend, at, or, like, not a trend, like, I think the first Witcher book had a, had a bit of, like, grim fairy tales parody, where it would be, Geralt's gonna go do a Witcher thing, but it's based off of some, like, classic fairy tale. So with, like, the Beauty and the Beast thing, the Beast is just, like, an old buddy of Witcher of the Witchers, and the Beauty is a vampire. Oh, lovely. Yeah, so, like, we meet, uh... So, like, Geralt, like, comes into... Like, goes and visits, like, this buddy of his who has since turned into, like, this feral werehog bear thing. But he's still like super jovial and is like, "Hey, Witcher, fuck, what the fuck are you doing here, bro? Come on in. Let's play. Let's go play fucking darts or whatever." Just hanging out, being real cool with him. Uh, meanwhile, this vampire creature who's living in his walls is like flying to the nearby village and massacring it every night because she needs to eat. Yay! And this guy is immortal, so she can feed on him and not die, and he won't kill him. And that's and he's basically he's basically like, hey, I'm a monster, but this person doesn't care I'm a monster, so I need to protect them at all costs. That's sweet. Because this guy is a monster, because he was turned into this thing after he raped and murdered a person. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so it's like dark twist on Beauty and the Beast stuff. Which ends with this guy murdering the fucking woman, murdering the vampire. And then actually having the curse broken so he can die now. And him begging Yay? Geralt to kill him. And Geralt's like, no. Kill yourself, dude. I only slay monsters. 
Yeah, and then Siri's there the entire time watching it get horribly traumatized, and they both leave. Yay, trauma. Yeah, and Siri is... Uh, Siri is going down the path to become a witcher. Probably a bad idea. That's the path. It's the it's the narrative I chose in Witcher Three. Because Witcher Three has three endings. Only one of them considered good. Which is you make Siri become the Empress. The other ones are she becomes a Witcher and still hangs out with you, which is the one I chose because very selfish and the other one is you treat Siri like shit and a child throughout the entire game and then she dies yay Witcher 3 but yeah and then meanwhile Yennefer is involved in some political intrigue kind of shit where she is thought to have died at the battle at the end of the first season uh Becomes like a refugee involved. Becomes like a refugee and become and like joins up with this underground group of like elves and half elves attempting to escape persecution. Because it's the world of the Witcher, so everyone's super racist. Oh, also, there's also a third storyline. Forgot about this. Uh, in I'm trying to remember the fucking name of the country. Like in the invading country, Nilfgaard. I don't know. I've never watched, read, or played The Witcher. In the in the invading country, um, a group of women, including Yennefer, are being manipulated by this like three headed god creature that's like appearing to them as the person they want it to appear to them as. Like one person sees it as the emperor of Nilfgaard, who is like this, who's like this god emperor, like this messianic figure. Uh, one of them is seeing seeing it as a like as like a powerful elven deity, and then Yennefer is seeing it as something else entirely, and she's like, "Yeah, fuck you. I don't. This is bullshit. I'm not falling for this." Which she does eventually fall for it because she wants power. Yay, power! The yeah, ultimate corruptor. Yeah, because here's the thing: she had actually lost her magic. Oh, that sucks. Yes, uh, within the world of Witcher, if you try to use fire magic, you have the potential of burning out your magic entirely. And so she, she used magic, and she when incinerated she magic. She incinerated the battlefield. Why? Because they were losing. Ah, uh, yeah, and fire is probably like one of the most da- one of the most like raw power kind of situations. Yeah, and so, so she can't. It's usually portrayed. Yeah, and so she can't really control her magic anymore. And then this fucking old witch lady is like, hey, I'll give you power back. Come on, you know you want it. This is literally your character. Come on, just, just, just be evil. Just a little evil. Oh, it's not even evil. It's just, hey, I will give you your power back. You know. For free. <laughs> Never trust that shit. Yeah, and that's why she does it. She's like, no, fuck you. I'm not doing this. But then it gets to a point where she's like, I guess to a point where the witch, where this woman is just like constantly like, hey, hey, you want your power? That'd be pretty useful right now. Give it back to you. <laughs> Give it back. Just say yes. And then I it think. It's deal. It yeah. doesn't even cost you anything. And then I think she eventually does say yes because Yennefer's entire thing is I want a family and also power. Mostly power. But yeah, family. Yeah. She bad. gave up her uterus for power. Jesus Christ. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, The Witcher. The Witcher, baby. Let's go. It's not even just a dark twist on fantasy tropes. It's just fucking dark. Yep. And it's also a game where you get porn cards of women you've slept with. Only the first game. They removed that very quickly. Yeah, like, I think this season is better overall. I'm still not, like, super invested in it. And I also can't tell you why. It's It's been so long since I've watched it that I can't actually remember a lot of my opinions on it. I do still enjoy watching it. Like, I... I, I enjoy the characters. I enjoy the portrayals of these characters. Um, like, Henry Cavill, in spite of having a very bad first impression by being in the worst Superman movie. Well, it's the third worst Superman movie. Uh, fourth. The fourth worst <laughs> Superman movie. For reference, it is uh, Superman 4, Superman 3, uh, Man of Steel. Yeah, sorry. Superman 4, Superman 3. Uh, hmm. Okay. Batman vs. Superman. Superman 3, Superman 4, Man of Steel. I agree with that. I agree with that order. <laughs> yes. That is... And honestly, Batman v. Superman might move down my list at some point. Batman v Superman. But I'm not will, as angry at it. Batman v Superman will never move down my list. It is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I fucking despise it. Especially with how many people Batman fucking kills. Yeah, and how over it Superman is with saving people. And the fucking messianic figure that they try to paint him as. Oh, damn, I hate those movies. Yeah, they're bad. They're bad. If you'd like to have, a, if you'd like to watch us suffer through a soup, Zack Snyder's Justice League, a sixty-dollar donation over on the Kofi. Normally, it's only ten Don't bucks. Do it. it normally is ten bucks, but Birdie was very adamant. Don't do it. Don't. It's not worth it. It's co-feed.com/slash/no-prods. Don't don't make us suffer. Because I'll probably get dragged in somehow. No, nah, it's probably that's gonna be me, Birdie, and Nico. Okay, good. Thank God. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> <laughs> if you donate 120, I'll I'll make Caveman do it. <laughs> he will. He will. Oh, I will. <laughs> I'll be like, Caveman, we're not playing D and D until we record this, and I'll be like, fuck. <laughs> 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 anyway, that's what I'm watching. Okay, what do you got? Uh, well, uh, let's go in temporal order. So, Birdie and I have been on a Rift Tracks kick, and one of the Rift Tracks was for a movie called Martial Law. It's a Cynthia Rothrock piece, and I say that because I don't remember the name of any of the other actors even though Birdie mentioned them uh, multiple times, but one of them is the son of someone famous. I'm looking I can't it up now. Recall. Uh, but it's a pretty stupid movie. Is it from uh, 1991 movie? Yes, uh, yes. yes it is. Oh, David Carradine. 
Yeah, David Carradine's in it, and he's fucking great. It's it's Chad McQueen. Chad McQueen is the son of someone famous. Yeah, Chad McQueen, and son of Steve McQueen, from the Karate Kid. He's like, he is very much the guy who got it only on his name. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's dumpy, he's a little overweight, he doesn't act, like, at all. <laughs> Um, they put him in a pizza delivery guy outfit at one point, and it's the most, like, accurate costume to the way he plays the character. Um, and it's, like, a world where kung fu is more effective than guns most of the time. Yeah, I Which, looked... I mean, that that's the world they're selling, so I'll accept that. Yeah, I looked up the... Cynthia Rothrock is hot, as always. I looked up the, uh description of the movie and it's police are finding one body after another of mafia related people parentheses all killed with bare hands yeah like it's a specific killing style that is learned in hong kong (laughs) (laughs) that's it learned in hong Um, kong by all these white people uh chad has a brother um who is a useless little shit who's like Hey, I could avoid crime and actually live a decent life since, you know, I live in a good fucking neighborhood or because I want to be better than my brother at Kung Fu, I can join the bad guys. I'm joining the bad guys. As we all know, street gangs have much better dojos than law-abiding citizens. And then the absolute best terrible character. And I mean this in like this character is spends the entire movie trying to get themselves killed his name is faster brown and he is his performance is it's it's it is the highlight it it is better than cynthia rothrock's just generic like sex appeal faster brown is hilarious (laughs) um he comes in and he's like, "Hey, I saw this guy talking to a cop. Let me join your gang again." And the the bad guy's like, "No. You're useless." <laughs> it's like just the whole like movie Faster Brown is constantly getting into the good guy's faces, trying to get himself killed until he eventually does get killed. I'm, pre- I'm if I I vaguely remember him getting shot. He stops showing up in the movie after a while, which made me sad. <laughs> But David Carradine is this great over-the-top cartoonish villain who, like, like, at one point he's, like, trying to, like, make a deal with, like, this Chinese guy who wants to buy a bunch of stolen cars. And he's like, if I beat your, uh, beat your bodyguard in a one-on-one hand-to-hand fight, you'll pay me double. And if you die, you get everything for free. Including my company, apparently, or some shit like that. <laughs> and, like, he then proceeds to beat this giant Chinese guy. I'm pretty sure he's Chinese, because, like, they referred to Hong Kong a lot. Um, and, like, he beats him with, like, this special palm move, where he shoves his hand into their chest and wiggles it a bit. <laughs> and that kills you. <laughs> uh, I feel like the shoving the hand into your chest is enough to kill you. No, 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 it doesn't go in. It's like on the surface, like on the sternum. Okay. And then he wiggles it and it leaves a bruise that's like super distinctive and not just from getting punched in the chest. It's the five um, point palm exploding heart technique. Cynthia Rothrock is infinitely more competent than our main character. Well, yeah, it's Cynthia Rothrock. 
Like, like, like they even write her as more confident. Like, they don't just have guys fall to Chad McQueen. It's like, yeah, you're gonna be fighting this guy for a while while Cynthia is over there kicking ass and taking names. She has- there are times when he's actually competent, but it's like. They knew she was more like more interesting and just better than Chad McQueen, so they just didn't put her in enough of the movie. Cynthia Rothrock has seven black belts. She's amazing and like <laughs> But no, this this movie was it was something else. Um She also apparently has a Chinese yeah. name. What? Yeah, uh Rothrock uh, she became like a Huge over in the con- over like in the Hong Kong film scene, and she was credited in a lot of movies as uh, Fu Lok Law. Okay. Just because I guess it would be weird to have like a bunch of Chinese characters, and then just Cynthia Rothrock. <laughs> well, um, this movie was silly, was fun. I don't really recommend it. However. <laughs> Um, it was dumb and a little bit painful. There wasn't enough, uh, enough attractive women on screen to, like, make up for the horrible, horrible acting that was Chad McQueen. Um, David Carradine's great in it. Uh, but it's not really a movie I would recommend to anyone. This is an awful joke that doesn't track anything you said, but would you say the movie hangs on him? Because, because he... Because how he died. I'm not going to acknowledge I, that joke. Yep. You shouldn't. <laughs> it was bad. It was bad and you should feel bad. For those who don't know, David Carradine died of autoerotic asphyxiation. Yep. Um, so, moving <sighs> forward in time. So, uh, I'm doing, I'm watching this series because it was announced that they're going to be continuing it. Okay, uh, Bleach. Uh, I this was my high school, like it was like Bleach was the anime for me when I was in high school. I loved Bleach. Um, man, even outside of the filler arcs, it's a bit painful. Like, like knowing what I know now, our char- our main character is like the biggest Gary Stew. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like. Like, yes, I have a little bit of everything inside of me. Yeah, like we talked we talked earlier about how with like a lot of like YA things, the bad characters will be I am nine like there are nine different supernatural creatures in this world and I am all of them. That's however Ichi- that's Ichigo Kurosaki. However, the like the the points where it really fails for me are in how they treat the supporting cast. Okay. Because Chad does not get enough attention. He's a great character, and they basically just, like, dump him in the filler ground, and I'm just like, but Chad, he's a great guy. Yeah, from what <laughs> I remember... Chad something to do. From what I remember, like, as the series progresses, he goes from, like, being... Like, when he starts out, he's, like, one of the few people who can, like, keep up with Ichigo. Yes. Well... One of the few normal people who can keep up with Ichigo. <laughs> Like okay, non so, society fuckers. Uh, that's really more Uryu than uh, Chad. Well, he um, precedes Uryu. Yes, but like Chad's like 
stupid. Like, Chad is superhero strong in a world that doesn't have superheroes. Yeah. Like, at one point, he just rips a telephone pole out of the ground, and I'm like, what's the logic of this world? <laughs> like, is this a thing that happens? Are there multiple people who can rip telephone poles out? Or is Chad special? Like... <laughs> Oh, okay. I For whatever reason, I always assumed Chad was black. No, he's Spanish. Yeah. Well, Mexican, specifically. Yeah, like I just... He I... specifically is Mexican. Yeah, he's a mixed Japanese-Mexican, and I just looked that up. Yep. Huh. Well, um... there you go. And, like, Chad is one of my favorite characters, because he's just this big, gentle guy. He's not an idiot. Like, he's, like... In, at one point, they're talk, like they talk about their test scores, and it's like... Chad, how'd you get in the top ten? And he's like, I studied. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another thing I love about Chad. Like, it's very hard to get, like, an emotional reaction out of him. Like, he's just like, yeah, I did the thing. And that's it. That's all you get out of Chad, and it's great. <laughs> like, everybody else is, like, flipping out around him. And Chad's just like, I wonder what the butterflies are thinking about. <laughs> Chad is a great character. He's one of my favorites. Um, and he seems to have but, a power yeah. that is entirely unique to him. Yes, uh, but that's because they're Fullbringers, which is, I'm not even to that part yet, and I've already got a headache. It's it's a story arc, and it, it's okay, confusing. I, I, okay, it's been a long time since I've seen anything Bleach. And I fell off of it not long before the ending. Mm. I do not remember them establishing that Chad was a fullbringer. Yeah. Uh, Chad and Orihime are supposedly fullbringers. Um, it's it's complicated. <laughs> I never actually finished the manga. Because uh, like, yeah. I just, like, I started reading the fullbring arc and I was just like, oh, you're hurting my head. <laughs> and I just stopped reading. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, I I made it through the Fullbring arc. I got up to the point where they were fighting God. That's part of why I'm excited for the anime, because I'll finally be able to finish the story, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got I got up to the point where the main where the main character where like the main villain was just my eyes are special and now I'm God. Fuck off. Mm. And then I was like, okay, I I'ma just read the last chapter then. Yeah, Bleach, Bleach was is a weird, weird, weird experience that yeah. I so wholeheartedly enjoy. Yeah, I think like, most people, or at least from what I've heard, uh, like people like it is it's essentially like accepted that it was that it was good up until like uh, Eisen was revealed as the main bad guy and then left. I think it was good until Aizen's defeated. And then, like, the writer was just like, wait, I have more story I can tell and make money off of this. Yeah. And, well, he shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. He made it, you know, he made a, he has a new manga out that is set in the same world as Bleach, but has nothing to do with Bleach. Really? Yeah. I'll have to look it up. What's it called? Uh, it is called, da -da 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 -da, Burn the Witch. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, I never watched any of it, but I heard of it. Yeah, there's a new thing where uh, I think, like, with the, uh, 
in like the single chapter. Like, like it started out as a one shot and then was uh, serialized. Mm-hmm. I believe at the I believe at the like they kind of are talking about that and then like hey we're part of like this we're part of like this organization and like has like the initials SS and you get to the end of it and it's revealed Soul Society London London branch. Mm. But they're witches and not soul reapers. I mean, different cultures. Yeah, but like there's a difference between like even talking about it, there's there's a difference between death god and magic lady. <laughs> there's no difference. What are you talking about? I'm just saying, uh, I don't think Glinda the Good Witch is on the level of death from fucking Soul uh, from Soul Reaper. Soul Eater. There's a bit of a difference there. Mm. Just a smidge. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. I, I didn't I didn't finish Soul Eater, so I don't know. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> I genuinely like I read like I read like twenty chapters of it. So I don't really know any of the characters. The last thing I remember a giant demon was playing a piano inside of the scythe. What the fuck? Yeah, uh Soul Eater Evans. Uh he he eventually got like possessed by the black blood, which then caused a little imp demon to live inside of him and to defeat it or like put it to sleep or some kind of shit, he inside of his head played a piano because he used to have a life as a concert pianist before he became a scythe. All right, so moving on. Yeah, within the world of Soul Eater, weapons are people. So moving on. Guns um, have big old so, titties. So m- moving on. <laughs> uh, moving into the modern era, I watched Loki. All of it. Woo! I loved it until the ending. Now is this a, now is this a thing where you have a problem with the story, or you hate cliffhangers? I hate cliffhangers. Okay. I, and I know, like, I'm gonna have to wait until like the next Marvel movie that ties in the uh, the Kangaverse or whatever. And I'm just so unhappy with it because because <laughs> the last time I watched something t- that tied into Kang and it ended, it just ended and it didn't get to continue, and I didn't get to fucking know what was going on with Kang the Conqueror, who is one of the more dangerous villains in the Marvel verse. Yep. Ah. Uh, same kind of thing with uh, Young Justice. Did you get to the end of season two? Dark Side's coming. Series is canceled. Fuckers. Ah. But luckily, Young Justice came back. But I loved, I loved, I loved pretty much all of, all of uh, Loki. It it was, it was a romp and a half. Loki uh, was really good. Um. Here's the thing that I actually do want your uh, opinion on. The eventual... The development of the relationship between Loki and Sylvie. Oh, I want them to be together so badly. Okay, I don't. And, like, it's not even it's, it's not even a thing of, like... Uh, it's, it's a... Th- For me, it is a thing of... I want to have a series where two characters... Who are, you know, opposite sex, whatever... And they don't get together because that never fucking happens anymore. True. Well, no. 
I feel like I watched a show recently where we had a male and a female that didn't end up together. And with these two specifically, it's a little bit weird because they are, on a technical level, kind of the same person. Yeah, but then you get into the whole godly DNA thing, because... I mean, especially Loki can transform into male or female versions of themselves, and yeah. And I mean, at one, I mean, at one point, Loki turned into a horse and gave birth to a snake. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like, just so much of like their early relationship, and like when they actually started talking to each other, and not just "I'm going to kill one of you." It was such a like nice little. It felt like a sibling thing. Because Loki has such a history of trying to murder his brother. Having a sibling who is the Loki to him. Hmm. Felt like felt like a felt like a decent felt like a nice little parallel thing that would like lead into both of them becoming better because that's kind of what Thor did for him. See, I'm actually more like while I want them to be together, I'm more interested in the army of Lokis. Yeah. I think that like they didn't explore that very much, but they also didn't clearly show them dying. So I think there's, like, potential there. I think that the next season we could be dealing with, like, Frog Thor and shit like that. Stuff that, like, ostensibly, the, um, the Time Bureau already dealt with, but because of the change in the time... Maybe they didn't deal with it anymore. Maybe yeah, multiverse like, exists. Multiverse exists now. Yeah, like now we've got like all of this other shit. Like, oh, it could be so interesting. Like we could see the stuff that like, like normally gets like just written out and we would never see in the movies. And I want to see. Like, it, and fuck, it could tie into into the Spider Verse even. Like, we could see a Time Bureau agent in the next Into the Spider-Verse movie, like, just in the background monitoring things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, I, I, I love, like, these crossover things, and, oh. Oh, I want it to be good. I, I, I want season two, and I want it to be good, but I know I'm going to have to wait for season two for a while. Yep. Yeah, as far as I can... And also all the little hints and stuff. Because I'm not going to lie, I got spoiled heavily for Loki, so I knew what to look for. Okay. But all of the little hints throughout of what real... I think Mobius is, like, I think there are multiple Mobius. Uh, well, they're... By Mobius existing, there are, because he's a variant. No, I mean there are multiple ones that work for... Is it the OCP? My brain keeps saying OCP for some reason. OCP is Omni Consumer Products from from RoboCop. Okay, why does my brain keep saying OCP? What is the shortening for the... TVA. The, thank you, TVA. Yeah, the Time Variance Authority. Yeah. Or Timekeepers. I think that I think that there are multiple Mobiuses working for the Timekeepers. Because he keeps referencing, he's like, hey, I didn't leave these rings here. M meanwhile... Uh, what's her name? The judge. Ravana? Yeah. Ravana's like, no, you left those. <laughs> it's well, just like... That's her first name. She's more... She's not she called throughout the show Renslayer. Yes, Renslayer. Like, she's like, no, you left those. It's just like, mm. Oh, so good. So <laughs> good. 
Yeah, she's she's I, great. Like, I, it's it's a, it's a lot I'm, of like really great cast throughout. Uh, I'm Loki. I'm pretty sure that there are two Mobiuses though, at least if not multiple, because it it's like he's their troubleshooter for when things go weird. And it, with with all of the timeline to consider, things would go weird fairly often. <sighs> I also love having Loki back because he was one of my favorite characters in the Marvelverse, just in general. Yeah. Great performance all around. Like, I expected to be making more wow jokes, and wow. I'm not. <laughs> Because he was just good. Yeah. Like, you know like, that's the, like, like, we meme on Owen Wilson a lot. Like, the internet memes on Owen Wilson a lot. Owen Wilson's a good fucking actor. Like, he was great as Mobius. Um, especially, like, like, I do, like, if there is one thing that I have to complain about, it's during the final act when they're in the realm beyond the, uh, you know, with where, where everything gets pruned to, and Mobius just happens to find Sylvie, and then just happens to find Loki. Uh-huh. It's a little ham-fisted there, in my opinion. Um, I also love how like Loki was like, "Okay, my plan is a dumb plan. All right, I don't have a plan here." Yeah, <laughs> when well, they go to try and kill the monster. Yeah, so with uh, so good with like that uh contrivedness there. I'm actually surprised that you aren't making this argument. It could be argued that he who remains is had been manipulated. Like he he had he had, at the end. He establishes that up until the exact point where he goes, I don't know what's happening anymore. He had been orchestrating everything. I don't believe that he has been, however. Okay. I don't, like, I think that whole speech was another manipulation. Another layer onto the trying to manipulate and control. I do think he genuinely feared the other, um, other Kangs coming back. And I do believe... That like he was aware of what was going to happen, but I don't think that he had con- like absolute control over it. Because if he did, then why didn't he? If he had absolute control, then why not just control Sylvie and Loki into becoming the best person to replace him? Because if he has absolute control. He should be able to manipulate the timeline. Like, uh-huh. Because he... And that's the thing. He simultaneously seems to have absolute control and incomplete control. And it's one or the other, buddy. Either you can have absolute control or you can, like... You can just see things. Monitor things. Manipulate things. I'm reading a bit about like the character and like um, Jonathan Majors who played him. Great performance. He's great. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I could see him playing a scary Kang too. Yeah. For those who had uh, heard us talk about it, he was the uh, lead character in uh, Lovecraft Country, Lovecraft County. That's kind of where I first saw him. This is entirely performance for that, and it's fucking awesome. But yeah, uh, this is a little thing. Uh, Majors talked with a uh, Heron, uh, Kate Heron, who directed a bunch of the episodes. And Marvel, but find the psychology of the character since he who remains has been in isolation and running the TVA for so long. Heron added that they tried to find, quote, that fine line between the extrovert and the introvert of that character and how he and how does he show that he's been living on his own. 
Majors utilized his classical clown training for the part and believed that he smiled more as he who remains than any than any other of his other roles combined. Additionally, he nice. was inspired by The Wizard of Oz, Sunset Boulevard, Citizen Kane, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory for his portrayal. Believing he who oh, remains... Oh, I can actually totally see that from the way he leans on his hand at one point. Yeah. Believing he who remains was the, quote, archetype of oh, the wizard and what happens to him when he gets bored and he becomes a trickster. I can totally see that. Oh, that's cool. Man, it was such a good performance. He's so good. Like, I could sit here for the next few days just praising Loki because I loved so much of it, including the, like... The, the big mystery in the beginning was, how do we find this evil, air quotes, Loki? It's like, they're hiding in disasters. And then they go to prove it by just fucking with Pompeii. Yeah. And that was great. That was so good. Yeah, it was really smart. Re- really really smartly written. Really well directed. Fantastically acted by kind of everyone involved. Oh, man. I am really looking forward to seeing like more of Sylvie throughout Marvel stuff. I want, I want more of Sylvie. I'd be okay with it if she didn't end up with Loki. Like, but, like, the the romance between them was growing so well, and... I... I didn't like it. Like, like if... This may just be that I misread the situation, which I am prone to do because of the way my brain is. But, seeing the two of them just begin to, like, loosen up around each other and feel and bicker like family that was great but then they go in for a kiss and it's like please don't see i never read it as bickering like family to me it was always bickering it was always it was always like bickering like it felt like that argument that you have with yourself you know what i mean yeah like like, all of those, like, internal debates just externalized. And maybe that's just because I argue with myself a lot. But that's how I saw it. That's what it looked like. That's how it felt to me. It felt like two, basically two of the same person, like, debating the whole time with, like, no, this is stupid. No, you're being reckless, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's where I kind of got the sibling thing from, because both of them... Because, like, both of them are playing Loki, but they're both very separate people while still being Loki. Mm-hmm. Like, Tom Hiddleston's Loki is very theatrical. He's very flamboyant, just kind of out there doing his shit and want all eyes on him. Whereas Sylvie is a bit grimier, bit down, bit down lower, bit tougher. And so while they both still have, like, at their, like, at the center of the Matryoshka doll that is them, they have the same little fucking... I don't know, alligator. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, alligator Loki. But they're but like the outer shells are like differ so far from each other just based on how their lives are that they felt it felt less like the same person arguing with themselves and it felt more like a brother and sister. See, like to me, and this again might just be my perspective, is it felt like it felt like two people like you arguing with yourself from a different point in your life like arguing with your inner child about whether or not to have that an extra cookie arguing with that's an argument for you yes i'm trying to lose weight and i'm actually being quite successful 
Oh yeah, me and me and that kid are like fucking just copacetic on that. <laughs> All right, we're gonna have two more slices of pizza and three cookies. Sounds good. It's like, wait, we can't have two more slices of pizza. We ran out. Son Let's of call a dad bitch. to get him to buy us a pizza. <laughs> Man, we can't get down. We oh. just did groceries with him. We can't ask the internet. We already got fucking three in the last six months. Fuck. Wait, okay, somebody what? donated to our Patreon. Pizza money. <laughs> what thing do I have not nailed down that I can sell? Uh, but. Speaking of, I actually have two pizzas behind me. Like. Like, and this is something we could argue about yeah, for it's, literal days. It's, like, it's, it's, it's just personal slightly different perspectives. Yeah, it's personal interpretations on a subjective work. Fucking. Like, I loved it, and on to something else that I loved. Encanto. I felt seen. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Encanto is kind of actually about, like, the pressures of the world... And how they're weighing on a group and getting past that. It's, there is no external threat in Encanto. It's all like internal bullshit drama that you have to deal with. It is the, and for, for those who don't know, it is the new Disney movie. I love it. I love it. Um, I still haven't watched it a second time. In part because my wife desperately wants to watch it a second time. And anytime she mentions it, that just pushes the idea of watching it again back for me. Um, but it was so, so well written, so beautifully animated. And it, the entire thing is beautiful. And it feels so real. Like, the way these characters behave, while they are cartoon characters, still feels very real to me. And mm, I loved it. It was so good. Um, my favorite character is Louisa, who has super strength and sings an absolutely like, oh my God, people understand me song about like how you feel the pressure of the world bearing down on you, but you're the strong one. So you have to keep holding on. And I'm just like, God damn. <laughs> um, but no, uh, uh, then there's Bruno, who's like, yeah, he did some things and then had to disappear because of those things. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it because I think every person, I this is this is one of those movies that is a nine out of ten for me, potentially a ten out of ten, but I have to rewatch it to make that decision. As four point five or five stars, I think everybody should watch this movie at least once because I felt seen. And that is really hard to make happen for me. Like, so often will I be trying to talk to somebody about how I'm feeling about what's going on in my life, in my mind, and I feel like they're not hearing me, not listening to me, not seeing me for, like, how I want to be seen, not acknowledging what I want to be heard. And this movie, in, like, one song, did that for me. And it wasn't the it wasn't Luisa's song, it was the song about the family Madrigal. Uh, our main character, Mirabel, our main character Mirabel sings like a bunch of kids come up and ask, "What's your gift?" And Mirabel sings a whole song about the entire family Madrigal and how everyone has a gift. And then when it gets to her, she just ends the song. And motherfucker. <laughs> 
My gift is astigmatism. Like, everybody is special but me. And man, did I fucking feel that. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, it just... Oh. And not gonna lie, the entire time you were saying that, I thought about some point interrupting going, oh, sorry, what were you saying? But that then, hurt so but bad. Then, but then thought better of it after that David Carradine joke from earlier. <laughs> He's learning, guys. He's growing as a person. <laughs> but no, I loved Encanto. Um, I recommend Encanto. I'm probably going to go back and rewatch it with my wife soon. Um, watch it. Like if you in in whatever way you have to watch it, if you can do it le legitimately, do it. If you can't do it legitimately, I cannot say that you can do it. <laughs> yeah, we can't legally say you can do it, but this is, this is but this is a Disney film. Um, so you it's know, a, it's it's a wonderful film. Um, I I simultaneously hope and like and fear them making it into a series. <laughs> Because I think I think it has the potential to be a good series. Like the song Madrigal sounds like the way you would open a TV show. But I'm not sure what they would do with a TV series because it feels like they completed the story. And Disney has a history of really train wrecking TV shows based on their successful movies. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be Lilo and Stitch series. It's gonna be oh my god, distant Madrigal cousin with this superpower of the week. What are you doing here? I'd actually be okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> the Madrigal family consists of 9,000 members. Oh. I also love all of, like, the subtleties that they have in it and, like, the little hints at what might be going on in the background, but we don't know for sure. I, I just, I loved that movie. It was, it was so good. Um, but given that I don't want to spoil any of it, I don't feel like I can talk too much about it because it's really a movie you should see. Um, the cast is great. The voice acting is wonderful. There's not a song in there that I didn't enjoy. The animation is amazing. The art style is gorgeous. And culturally speaking, like it's an area of the world that I just, I've never explored. So I, it was really interesting to me to see all of these mixed race couples and then go on to look and see, oh yeah, Colombia is really a melting pot. And just, oh, man, it was, it was so good. It was so good. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Well, so. alrighty then. Anything else we're watching? Uh, that's all I'm going to talk about this week. Alrighty, and that's going to do it for this week. No, no news? Nope, none that I found. Okay. Because I am bad at my job. Ha ha. And I also don't really, like, fucking who gives a shit what's coming out? Everything's still closed anyway, fuck it. <laughs> Get the vaccine. <sighs> Thank you for joining us. We'll be back at some point. More of this shit. In between now and then, though, we're going to be having other podcasts. Continuing with Die, continuing with Curse Destiny. Uh, new Titans coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> you sound so enthused <laughs> yeah until then I'm dead I'm Cave we'll see you guys next time goodbye have a wonderful time yeah.